Queensland Premier League season. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Chelsea Spot Podcast. I hope you're all doing really, really well. Um, it's a, our first upload in a few weeks because of a few sort of unfortunate circumstances which came upon last week with one of our last episodes. Um, if you know about that, we were planning to record with former Chelsea player Lewis Bates' father and that episode did get recorded and uploaded, but unfortunately that has had to be taken down and we will hopefully be getting out in the next few weeks. Um, so to cover up with that, I've been delighted to be joined by a guest Harrison Burridge who who's been a you know a guest on the guest list for a while and I thought what a better time to get him on when England are losing every single cricket game so Harrison thank you very much for coming on thank you for having me lovely stuff do you want to just sort of introduce perhaps a bit about yourself and to those who may not know too much about you about what you do and how it feels being at the worst TCS on Twitter um well, I guess we'll start with the TCS there. I'm now the senior editor at the Chelsea Social in the last few months, so in the lead there. That's kind of my main thing in terms of football-related stuff. And I do other things. I'm a uni student studying sports journalism, so I do other things related to that industry. Really nice stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll just get straight into it. The way this podcast we're going to do it is pretty much just have the first half speaking about Chelsea and Pochettino and things like that. And mainly focusing on the Arsenal game, which went back what feels like weeks ago, but it was only a week ago, and the, the Brentford game, which is the early kick-off tomorrow, and then in the latter stage of the podcast, we will get on to the cricket. Um, I guess we should discuss Arsenal, because that was our most recent result. Had a really frustrating game, but one which perhaps you're like, well, the performance was good enough, wasn't it? Yeah, I think you've summed up perfectly there. It's one right up to the 75th minute, you're thinking... We're about to do something very special here. So it didn't seem possible maybe going into it, but Pochettino's plan worked perfectly and it nullified Arsenal. But then a couple of moments of madness ends up costing us, and it's really frustrating, really bad taste almost at least. You were coming out of that game, feels like a defeat, but at the end, you've still got a point against Arsenal. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you come in before the game, you're, you're saying the point against Arsenal is absolutely fine, but. I think sort of it feels like we haven't won against Arsenal at Stamford Bridge for the last five, six years or whatever. And, you know, that was 2 0 up until the 75th minute and pretty much in cruise control. And then, as you say, a few freak moments just turn it around. But I think it was just one of the games. And I think it's really encouraging that we did play that well. I think you're going to get with this young squad a lot of, not a lot of mistakes. You're going to get mistakes. You're going to get, you know, mistakes in key moments. And I think the best thing they can do is just learn from it. And I don't think you're going to see, for example, Sanchez play that sort of pass in the 75th, 80th minute ever again. And that's fine. And hopefully not at least. And we can look to improve on that and get that in the results um, in the next few games. Um, I, I think we should talk about perhaps some of the moments in, the, in, that, in that game. And the first one being um, the first goal. Um, what did you... Yeah, I guess I'll ask you a bit about penalty like yeah handball laws I mean it's a whole different game story but what did you think of that and and what, what have you made of Cole Palmer so far this season? I mean the handball law is just it's a never-ending debate really at the moment I think on the laws and the way they're interpreted at the moment it has to be a penalty I don't think that that mm. kind of really isn't enough to debate whether, whether it should actually be a penalty 
that's I mean a whole other matter but I don't think we've got time really to go into that now but kind of on a wider subject with Cole Palmer he's just coming and he's, he's fitted in seamlessly I saw him a few years back now when he played for Manchester City in the third round FA Cup tie against Swindon and you could see then albeit that was I believe that was the start of 2021 so it's still very early in his career but you could see the potentials there and albeit he wasn't featuring so regularly for City but he's come into a regular role at Chelsea and looked like a, a natural so he's played a lot and really happy to kind of take on the burden of creativity and, and scoring goals as well which I think exactly what this this team was crying out for and he's delivering at the moment. Absolutely and he, and he played in this different role as well and he He's really adapted to it really well, um, sort of in this false nine-ish role. And there were actually a few shouts beforehand um, that he could be playing that role. And he did pretty well. I think I would have expected it to be Raheem Sterling, but he said it was Cole Palmer. And yeah, as I said, I think he did quite well. Um, and then we should move on to the second goal. I think Mikhailo Mudrik's cross slash shot, as he himself said in the interview afterwards, it was a mix of the two. Um, in general, though, I did want to ask you about Mikhailo. Um, his sort of improvement in the last few games has has really been, I think, credit to both him and Pochettino, hasn't it? Absolutely. I think the way he was used initially at start season was very frustrating for many Chelsea fans, especially when obviously the results weren't going away and you got someone with his talent kind of sat on the bench. But I mean, everyone's reaping the rewards for kind of short-term pain for long-term game almost could apply a bit here with Madrid he needed some time to settle Pochino could see and he's got a vision for him and he's starting to kind of implement that in recent weeks and first goal for his club and country before and during the international break and then that kind of freakish moment whether he meant it or not obviously that's only only he will know truly but yeah it's kind of a display of his talent if he did mean it but at the same time it still shows what he can bring to a Chelsea side, coming kind of overlapping down that left hand side and providing a threat. Absolutely, and, and you you can't forget that he scored against Fulham just a few weeks before as well. So it's not like it's just a complete go out of nowhere, and it's, we're just perhaps overrating one performance. I think his performances have massively improved in the last few games, and I sort of said it in the in the last podcast. But I think a lot of my criticism, perhaps, of Mudrik in over the last few months has sort of become because of the signing and the price tag involved with him. Um, sort of, you know, signing a player for something which could lead up to 100 million over the next few years, you're expecting a sort of impact which perhaps someone like Enzo gave you in the first few months or which you've seen from Caicedo. But I think the price tag really is nothing to do with him. And you've got to judge him as a player who's not played many senior league minutes and who's just coming into the Premier League in a completely new environment. Obviously, things are difficult at home and things like that. So I think, yeah, you've got to judge him as a player who is coming and it's going to take time to settle in. But I think we all saw in that first 20-minute cameo against Liverpool in his very debut debut for the club that there could be something special here. Um, so I think just giving him the time and allowing him to play as much as possible is the, the, the best way forward. Um, and just on to the last few players, because I do want to talk about Brentford in a bit more, but Conor Gallagher in midfield um, has just been, I think, exceptional this whole season. And I think it's it's a massive credit to him, isn't it, that he's just been able to, to switch it around so easily. Yeah, definitely. I think he's a real role model for anyone if you want to sh- a display of how to make your way into the team and break your way into the team when so many in the hierarchy kind of wanted you gone. And he's kind of put that behind him and said, I'm here, Pochino wants me, I'm going to do everything I can. And his displays are just full of energy and just so much, you can see, I don't like the word, using the word, but so much passion and that kind of, the desire to do so well that the club he's been at for so long is there to see and he's becoming such a, an important part and important cog in that midfield alongside I mean he's playing alongside two people 
came in for over 100 minutes. So, I mean, it's no no easy feat for someone just from the academy to be replicating and matching and even better in the performances of them in the middle. And I mean, I would be concerned where Chelsea would be without him this season because he has been such a key cog in that middle. Just, I mentioned it earlier, that energy he brings, and he's combining that with an increasing kind of skill and technical skill when he's on the ball and the link-up he's providing. So I think, I mean, it's all positive from him and you just hope it keeps going upwards for him. Absolutely. I think, yeah, as you say, him, you know, it was so close to him potentially leaving in the last two days in the window and then he got given that captaincy against the FC Wimbledon in the in the cup and sort of everything has just clicked on from then and he's been arguably our best player this season, which is obviously massive credit to him. And I don't want to say it's wild because we've signed 150 million players, but I want to use that more to, you know, credit him and sort of it needs to show to the board that there is talent in-house and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go make 100 million signings, but use them to sort of improve what you've got at your own. Because I think a big thing which I've said about Connor is a lot of people online have said he's got better technically this season. And I think perhaps there could be a little bit of truth to that. But I'd say much more from what we've seen from Connor is that he's been placed in a system where he's being surrounded by good players. And he's the sort of player where when players are around him and thriving, he's going to also thrive. And you mentioned before his off-ball work is obviously you're going to get from him every single game. Um, so I think there's a really fairy tale story about Connor, which is lovely to have. And we've just got to hope with 18 months left on his contract that, that negotiations do go well um, and that he is here to stay for the next few years. Because I think the last two seasons have shown that he can be such an important player for us. Um but yeah, I think that covers Arsenal pretty well. We will move on to Brentford, which we're playing tomorrow in the early kickoff. Um, Pochettino has had his press, con- press conference and they did release the injury stuff. And there's no Reese James mentioned anywhere, so I'm assuming he's going to be fit. And obviously, he came on for the last 10, 15 minutes against Arsenal. Um, it's, it's, it's good to have Reese back, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, seeing him come on last Saturday, there was the feeling of dread. It was almost like, don't do anything to hurt yourself, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time you come back after, well, since obviously the opening day of the season. But yeah, I mean, Gusto's done a very good job in, in his absence, but maybe you could maybe see a slight weakness of Gusto's was exposed for that second goal that Arsenal scored. But to have James back is a big boost. I think Pochettino did say he won't be starting in his press conference right. today. So it'd be Gusto again. But just to be able to call upon someone of James's talent off the bench and especially in a game like Brentford where it could be maybe one a bit difficult because they're a bit out of sorts themselves at the moment so you might need a bit of magic off the bench which he we know he can definitely provide but longer term you just hope he stays fit because this Chelsea team beat a million times million times better for his presence. Yeah for sure and as you say I don't think Mal- I think Malagos has done pretty well for us and even Marco Carrera uh, at right back before Gusto while Gusto was at a suspension, he even put in a very good shift. So, But yeah, I think the weaknesses are clear with those two options. And that's why they're backups, because Rich James is arguably the best right back in the world when he's playing. Um, so I think it is important that we just take it really easy with Reese, because, you know, when you add him to the team, you just get a whole new dimension, both in defensively and offensively. And that's what makes him on the best right back. So, yeah, I think Reese returning, whether, as you say, Pochino looks like said he'll be on the bench and coming on. Uh, it's just going to massively change our team over the next few weeks. And I, I am glad that actually he's not starting straight away and we are taking it easy. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you with sort of a, a predicted slash what would you do line up for for the game against Brentford tomorrow because I think there are a few interesting decisions to be made. Yeah, I mean, 
because obviously last weekend Pochettino set his team up specifically to nullify mm. Arsenal and especially stifle Odegaard's threat. So you don't expect me with that box midfield and false nine to be such, I guess, so relevant this weekend. Especially, I think with Jackson, Jackson can be fit as well now yeah. to start. So you expect Jackson, I think, almost to go from back from front to back in some ways. You expect Jackson to start up top, lead the line, be the presence, especially as Berger was included back in that injury report again with irritation yeah. to his knee, which it's another, I think, another frustration. But you, you imagine, and either side of Jackson probably depends how Pochettino feels. It's going to be two of Sterling, Palmer, and Mudrick really, and it depends how he wants to go. You probably you give Mudrick the go really, and Palmer probably has to play as well. So I think that's your front three, midfield three picks itself, and then I think the back four near enough picks itself as well. Gusto, Silva, Colwell, Cucurella. With Sanchez in behind, so I think it's really just how Pochettino wants to line that front three up tomorrow. I think the only debate to be had. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think um, perhaps if this was a few weeks ago, you probably would have seen Colwell at left back and Sassi with Silver at centre backs. But I think Cucurella has had a pretty decent few games now, and, and it would be pretty difficult to drop him. Um, so I think having Cucurella and Gusto as fullbacks is fine. And yeah, I think Colwell. Colwell. I think Colwell. I was at the game on, at Stamford Bridge against Arsenal. I thought. Levi was not as good as he could have been on the ball. Um, and I think a slippery surface actually got to him a few times and he slipped a few times. But I've got no doubt about his sort of ability to play centre-back, even in a back four. Um, he's, a, he's a really good sort of box defender. And he's, you know, against Brentford, especially people who are really good in the air, I think he's going to be really needed. But then I guess that's the argument that maybe you will see De Sassi. You know, Brentford are good at set-pieces. They are good in the air and they there is a chance perhaps to Sassi could come in. So that, that will be interesting to see. Um, I, I did want to bring up sort of a question to you because Pochettino has basically revealed in this press conference that Nkungu is very close and he could be back after the international break. It's, it's a 50-50 sort of situation on that. Um, where is he fitting in the team? It's my question. <laughs> that is actually a very difficult question because obviously... When he first signed, and then kind of for most of the summer, Palmer wasn't in the picture. Yeah. And then Palmer's kind of come into the picture, and now he is a permanent in this picture, and he, he's not going anywhere, especially when he's playing like this. Um, I mean, Pochettino, I think I did read his quotes. He said he is the key to bringing goals to this team. We're still struggling for goals, which is a, a valid point. So, it's, does he play as the striker then? Like, mm. Who knows? And, and he kind of rotates with Jackson, but then he built up a good connection with Jackson in pre season. So, I mean, and you could still then have Palmer off one of the wings if you play in Kunku in point. Jackson go back to the 4-2-3-1 shape Pochettino's used before. So I think I think the good thing at the moment from our perspective as Chelsea fans we haven't had for a couple of years is there's options and there's and they're quality options and they can yeah. they they all do a job and pro, and help us win games and pick up points. I think that's kind of that joy is back for Chelsea. And I think if Nkunku can come back and I think the key is to manage him properly. Pochettino will because he's done it with most other players coming back from injury but as long as he can manage him well and make sure he doesn't get, re-aggravate that injury initially and keep him fully fit for over that Christmas and New Year period Chelsea will be a much better team for it same with Rhys James Absolutely um, I think yeah, as you say Palmer wasn't in the picture and I don't think anyone expected Conor Gallagher to be our best player at 10 games in um, and there's pretty much two players who are playing Gunku's position so I think it will be really interesting I think to be honest, if if you ask me right now, I would say Nkunku is going to take that striker position just because in pre-season, um, 
I th- we, we didn't see too much of Nkunku in the 10. I think that is his natural position. Um, but even he hinted at in an interview at the time that he doesn't mind playing the nine and he's quite happy there. And I think Pochettino is saying that we need goals from him. I think you, you'll see Nkunku perhaps playing that role instead of Jackson. Um, and especially the way if Gallagher and Palmer continue playing the way they are, I, I don't think you can really drop either one. But it is going to be interesting because I think Jackson, there is definitely a very, very good striker in there. And I think a lot of fans, well, as, as you know, it's hard to explain. Some fans, they love him after every game. Some fans, they don't like him after every game. And it's a bit 50-50 on him. Um, but again, with Jackson, I think that you can see there is so much quality because he he runs in behind so well. He presses really well. His hold-up play is good. And I think the finishing is, is going to come. And you saw that goal against Burnley, the way he, how composed he was in the box. He, he certainly got that quality about him. So I think it is going to be a really interesting one. As you say, it's, it's, it's definitely a good dilemma to have because I think in previous years, we've been worrying like whether we're going to be playing Willian or Pedro. And now we're worrying that we're going to be playing in Kunku or Conor Gallagher. So I think we'll be absolutely fine. And as you say, it's good competition to have. Um, so yeah, hopefully we, we do get that win against Brentford tomorrow. Um, that moves us nicely onto the second sort of section of this podcast, which is the cricket um, because I know we're both very much into it and obviously we are pretty much halfway through the World Cup now and um, there's I think there's a lot to talk about. I will just do an open-ended question and just get any thoughts on anything really from you. I mean, obviously being an England fan, this has not been an enjoyable, I think it's three weeks it's been of the tournament. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, yesterday was the late, latest disappointment to be blown away by Sri Lankan, I think. Like being blown away is a bit of a common theme of this tournament. It hasn't been those close mm. games you maybe hope for. Not been, I think, one they define as a close game. I think there's one for Pakistan and Sri Lanka that kind of came close, but you knew Pakistan were going to get over the line yeah. before they did. So it's just been one of those affairs. There's also been a lot of talk around scheduling and the issues around other bits and areas of the tournament that make it bad for spectators and viewers around the world. But I think it's been plenty of good cricket on show, despite kind of what I said about no close games. Your team, India, they've looked fantastic. New Zealand, obviously they lost, lost to India the other day, but still they've been New Zealand in the World Cup and, and you've got South Africa who are just going to bludgeon you to death with a bat, it seems. So, I mean, it's still throwing up enough stories to enjoy a World Cup, albeit it does feel rather long to think we're only halfway through the group stage per se, and it's been three, three and a half weeks, especially when England have got nothing to play for. Yeah, I mean, that is fair enough. I think, as you say, I was sort of reading sort of uh, a debate, you could say, on the timeline between Tovers and Konark, two friends sort of of the podcast um, last night, and they were they were talking about sort of the pitches and, and the things like that. And I think there there is a lot to talk about in that sense. And I did just want to ask you, like, do you think... The, OD, the ODI format is sort of slowly dying and, and, and going away. I think it's been an inevitable slide, really, especially the way the franchise leagues have popped up and every country wants to have their own and get their own piece, like slice of the pie, almost. Someone's going to have to give way, and it's been the ODIs for the last... Well, every basically every nation's played less ODIs in the build to this World Cup than the last one, hindered a bit by COVID, but it's kind of a representation of where it is, and you've got the fact there's a a big meeting I think the ICC have got after this tournament to discuss the future of the format I think that kind of says enough about where it lies and it, it will whether it just remains like almost World Cups only and mm-hmm. you just play around with it who knows what happens but yeah it's definitely the 
the bad child almost out of the three formats at the moment. Yeah, I think so. And I think, yeah, it, it's important to mention franchise cricket because, yeah, I think it's definitely, well, from a from a financial side, it is the one which makes no sense. And I think I was, I was reading, like, I think it was a month ago that even Rajasthan's Royals are interested in, like, buying Yorkshire or something in the, in the, in the county league and things like that. So, it, yeah, I think we have a really interesting few years um, ahead in terms of cricket and, and, the, and the way the direction goes. And as you say, having it as the World Cup, uh, sorry, having ODI as the, the only time World Cup's played could, would kind of make sense. Um, but yeah, I, I did want to perhaps go a bit more in depth into sort of England sort of sort of defeats and sort of performances out there in the World Cup. Um, where Where has it? gone wrong that is very much the million dollar question because you you may you may well have seen it kind of debating around on twitter and there's there's obviously one there's a popular tournament the 100 that is copping a lot of the blame from certain corners of fans and fair enough for me that's got nothing nothing to do it but it has some role but it's not anywhere near as significant as other factors that played a part i mean england have just haven't played as much i kind of lose it to her they haven't played as much odi cricket in the four years between the tournaments, I think it's basically half the number of ODIs or something around that. And a lot of those ODIs weren't played with first team, full strength teams. So, I mean, a lot like Jason Roy, I think, had played the most ODIs for England between the two tournaments. And here we are. And he's not at the tournament because he's lost form at the wrong time. And I think that form is another key thing. You kind of You had that warm up series against New Zealand, 1-3-1, and it looked kind of all OK. It looked like. They contend point, they probably get to semis, but it wouldn't be much more. But then they've kind of stepped off the plane and barring the warm-up games, they got to a med bad and their form just abandoned them. It it especially in the bowling department, they've just looked completely lost, exposed mm. by struggles with the heat, pitches, conditions, big slow balls not suiting the track surfed up and I mean it's turned into a really shoddy affair. And I mean <laughs> sitting like reflecting off the defeat yesterday and thinking the fact we've got India Sunday. This could be an absolute. We've been massacred, a record defeat against South Africa as it is. We've then got eight lost eight wickets by Sri Lanka. We've got India Sunday, who are unbeaten, who are looking like they could go the tournament unbeaten. It's not really a good thought, and I think I think Mott said it yesterday. Kind of just like they need to try and take pride in themselves. I think they, in fact, they need to finish in the top eight to qualify for the Champions Trophy in 2025, <laughs> which at the moment is looking a steep task, um, especially if. They lose to the Netherlands when they have to play them in a few weeks' time. So, yeah, I mean, so much gone wrong. Form, decisions at the toss. I mean, I think it's almost criminal. But the bold first in the heat at Mumbai the other last weekend. That that really did lose in the game. They've never come back from there. But yeah, so much going on. There will undoubtedly be a big review from the ECB into this, and some ludicrous decision will be made afterwards, and we'll be back at it again. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, you sort of hinted towards my next two questions, actually, but the first one was being, I think from, from an Indian perspective, I see it as, okay, I get that the pitches are not really helping the ODI format and things like that, but you know what you're getting when you're coming to India. And I think perhaps, at least from my perspective, other countries, England especially, maybe didn't prepare for that as well as they could have. So I guess that's my first question. The second one, you sort of mentioned the toss a, a lot of talk in the last 12 to 24 hours has been sort of just Butler's cap role as captaincy um I don't know if you had any any thoughts on that too um I'll start there with the Butler thing I think it's a difficult one because you got this is a side who won the T20 World Cup well mm. a year ago now 
probably just about just under a year ago from when we're talking now. So I mean, there is something there, but he does seem to have been a bit exposed by it always. Seeing him, he's commonly cut as a forlorn figure whenever the camera pans to him. There's always there's that infamous photo from the last time he went down under for the ashes of him after dropping, I think he dropped a couple of catches in one of the day-night games and he generally looked on the verge of tears. And it, you do feel for him because it's like how much is actually un, in his control and how much is out of it. Like the toss thing that is in, well, would have been in his control how much influence was made from obviously the coaching department and stuff into that. Who knows? But yeah, it's just, who knows with him because he is probably the ideal candidate to still lead us forward, but there are calls for him to go because, I mean, this is going to be, England's worst, one of worst, England's worst World Cup campaigns. Many are saying it's worse in 2015, which I mean it's quite impressive to almost sink to those levels again after the extended periods of success. But then, just kind of answer the pitches thing as well. I think I've been, I've, I've had personally no issue with the pitches. I've enjoyed the variety. That's kind of what you get when you go to India. Mm. You go to different places, you'll get different things. It would be different contests between bat and ball, and and you, England just didn't prepare to sorry, prepare for it. They played what they played. A, I think they may have played some ODIs in Pakistan before the last T20 World Cup, or they may not have. It might have been seven T20s they played out there, but they played some in Bangladesh this year, but that wasn't with a full-strength team. So you do have to wonder how many times they played in the subcontinent, really, in the last years outside of franchise leagues, and I don't think it's that many, and that may could well be one of those factors playing into their downfall right now. Yeah, I think, I think that's, a, that's a good way to look at it. And, yeah, I think you, you mentioned how you know, you're, you're frightened of um, playing India on Sunday. I think you have every right to be, but I have to say, I, I, I'm in uni at the moment and my flatmate is an actual Indian from India. I mean, um, and he was saying he's absolutely dreading Sunday. So I think, I think, yeah, I think with India, we just really feel the pressure every time we play. And I think the players, I think that's actually what's been best so far this season is they haven't felt that pressure. Um, but I think we are still quite aware that if we fin- do finish first and say if someone like Australia finishes fourth, that semi-final is going to, you know, really be the big tester. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you had any sort of comments about India's performances so far, because as you said, like it has been pretty comfortable in the five matches so far. Yeah, I think, I mean, the fact they've been able to kind of, in a couple of games, mess around and try and get one of their players to 100 kind of states their dominance so far and underlines it for me. Yeah, well, it's caused a lot of uproar, especially amongst England fans. Oh, why are they doing that and whatnot? But I mean, fair play to them. You can do what you want when you're that far ahead in any game, and they've deserved it. New Zealand was the real test, and they kind of they still came through that rather easily. Albeit there was a little period with Battenham where you thought New Zealand might be doing something here, but then testament to the quality the inside that bowling performance in the last 15 overs, New Zealand was top class, and no side will take advantage of that. And I think that's what will fight in any side. But you mentioned it well as well in terms of where India could could be their downfall one that kind of worry I had about them before the tournament was then how will they do in the knockout stage in the current games because that's since 2011 that and, and well obviously 2013 Champions Trophy as well but kind of since then there's been a common theme in any tournament they get to knockout stage and then they're coming unstuck in one way or another and that is going to be the big test because it, you will likely have it will you imagine the top four is going to be including India, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia. So it's going to be no, obviously cliche, but it's going to be no easy semi-final. Mm. But you'd expect, well, you expect them to, almost to win the tournament at this point when they're putting in the performances as they are. And Saturday, well, sorry, Sunday, it could England could just turn up. It would be so on brand for this country in any sport to just turn up out of nowhere. 
and drop a performance against the tournament hosts and favourites for the tournament. Can't see it happening personally, but India know they're still going to be in a contest, regardless of how much a mess England are when they turn up. So, yeah, I mean, India just been a very good side. They're back, also said before the tournament, they're just so balanced across the board, quality mm-hmm. players in each department. And if any side has that, they're going to be difficult to stop. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think there's this sort of confidence which I've never felt in this India team and it's both in the batting and bowling. I think previously it's always come from one side, pretty much the batting, but I think the best far, so the, sorry, the best thing I've seen so far this season has been that we, our openers have started so well. And then you're looking at the guys who are coming in at three, four, five and six, you know, like they could also be opening or like they could be impressing as well. So when, when Shimon Gill and Rohit Sharma are getting 30, 40 each, it's already setting you what roughly a hundred for zero. And then, you know, when you've got Virat Kohli, KL Rahul and, you know, loads of other strong batters coming in, Shreya Zaya, I think there's there's just that feeling that, OK, if you if you do get out, that's fine because you have so many quality bats now mm-hmm. there. So let's just go and play. And I think that sort of that confidence, which perhaps England may have had in the last years until this tournament, was that let's just go out and play. And there's that real feeling. And then when our bowling's being as strong as it has, I mean, Bumrah is bowling incredibly every single game. Um Siraj is still getting it to swing and after that very impressive performance against Sri Lanka in the Asia Cup final and Mohamed Shami's come in and he's just picked up a five for and it's just it's it's really it's really interesting and the big thing is now is when Hardik Pandya comes back what do we really do because even for this Sunday I think there's a discussion that Pandya won't be fit and if Pandya won't be fit do you stick with Shami and Skype because I think I, personally, Sky is one of my favourite cricketers sort of around, and I do believe he can play that ODI format if he sort of comes in the last 15 overs and that run out last game was really, really unfortunate and definitely not his fault. Um, so there is the discussion that if you do play Shami and Sky, you, you only do really have five bowlers, and that did perhaps look like that could be an issue last game when Gundeep Yadav was getting hit for you know, 70, 80 runs, but... We did manage to recover really well. So I think I'll take that risk this Sunday. And when Pandya comes back, we can see about who he's going to replace. And I suspect it would be Sky. But then do you play Ashwin uh, instead of Shami? So there, there's a lot of discussion, similarly to Chelsea at the moment. I think these selection problems are really good. Um, just to finish off the podcast, I did want to have a little fun game. Um, I wanted to go through the Chelsea lineup against Arsenal. And I'm going to ask you if they were in a cricket batting order which order would they go in okay <laughs> well i'm gonna have to get the line up in front of me um, yeah yeah this is an interesting one just but, based off the vibe and the class and all of that where where do you think they would bat from one to eleven well i, I pencil in number four straight away i think enzo's gonna have to bat number four i mean right best player in the team bat four i think that kind of goes goes without saying I think you lead off with I think let's go openers of Sterling and Gusto I reckon okay Sterling just that experience option at the top yeah and Gusto kind of that, kind of that new face on the scene providing a good bit of energy number three you put you put Conor Gallagher there he's gonna be the workhorse of the team like he is for Chelsea does the same role um number five go Cole Palmer yeah, classy, classy player. You can bat in the middle order and have the freedom and do what you like there, mate. Um, number six, oh, this is I've got a couple of players I'm looking at now. <laughs> kind of, kind of just stereotype forward 
that the attackers is the top order and then the bowlers is the bowlers and uh, the yeah. defenders is the bowlers. But we'll go with it, I reckon. Um, Moises can bat six, just kind of another top quality player there. And then keep, we'll keep the theme. Sanchez can be the keeper at number seven. We'll keep that one bit of continuity between the two sports almost. Yeah. Um, Levy Colwell's at eight is the young pace bowling all rounder who's just come on the scene. Um, and they've got Mudrick, let's have Mudrick at nine. He's the, he's the young dashing leg spinner, I reckon. I've got yeah. something about him. Cucurella's at 10. He's just there, almost like survivors for a need to cause a bit of chaos and mayhem. And just do whatever he likes and bring up the rear Thiago Silva in the Jimmy Anderson role for England. So I think that is, yeah, that's a rough go. It <laughs> the attackers are the batters and the defenders are the bowlers. Love that. I do love that. I, I actually, yeah, I made mine beforehand and it is kind of similar, kind of different. I actually went with Thiago Silva opening the bat. I thought he's got a little bit, little bit of class about him. He may take a while to get his knock in, but. He'd come in and I'd put Caicedo next to him, um, sort of that, that small sort of build, but he can sort of hook it over fine leg or something like that in the opening 10 overs. I also went for Connor number three and Enzo number four. I think your your midfield sort of workhouses are going to be the guys sort of anchoring the innings. Um, and then I went with Cole Palmer and Raheem Sterling six. I perhaps on hindsight may have put Sterling a bit lower, go, sort of gone in this sort of spinning role. But then again, he is a bit too quick. So maybe you do want him bowling some pace. Um, but yeah, and then my, my last sort of five, the bowlers, I went with Levi, Tocarella, Sanchez, Mudrick and Gusto. I don't know why, but Gusto gives me such leg spin vibes. Um, and, and Mudrick, I can see just doing an off-cutter here and there. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, that was just an interesting game. But there is a bit of cricket sort of history in this this Chelsea squad. I mean, Ben Chilwell is a massive fan of cricket, played a lot of cricket as a kid. And Lewis Hall was playing a very high level of cricket, although he's at Newcastle on loan and will be permanently. I think it is fun to mention that. He was playing cricket to a very high level till about the age of 16, and he did end up in football. Um, and one of my one of my mates and mates actually played cricket with him and said he was very, very, very good. So, yeah, he's a clearly a talented sportsman. Um, but no, I think that will... That, that wraps up the pod nicely. I will ask you for two predictions before we go. First one, Chelsea-Brentford. Second one, India-England. Chelsea-Brentford, I'll go 2-0 Chelsea. It, most likely, I think we probably will concede, but I'm going to be confident to say we won't take a 2-0 win. India-England, let's just do, let's get out of the way. India can win by over 100 runs, over 100 runs or probably by eight wickets or something. It will be some sort of fashion. I have no faith. <laughs> That's good to hear. Um, yeah, I think Chelsea will take sort of a... I'm pretty sure... I'm going to go with a 3-0 victory against Brentford. Uh, I'll go with Jackson, Sterling and Cole Palmer goal again. Um, and yeah, I think I'm pretty confident personally about India England. I do hope for once we can just bat first. And I want to see us bat first and see how we do. Um, because a lot of our innings so far have been we've lost some wickets early on and then we've had the main three and four to sort of anchor off and, and get that chase done but I do want to see how we would do if you know we have that pressure to sort of bat from the beginning and, and see how we do so yeah I am going to go with a pretty similar victory in that sense um, over England but yeah thank you so much Harrison for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure thank you now, always, thank you very much for listening, guys. You know where to catch us on the ChelseaSpot.com, on the Chelsea Spot, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, hopefully, we will be uploading some more podcasts and articles over the next few weeks. Leave us a five-star review, share it with your friends. But thank you very much for coming on.